um, we just have so much to be joyful for. Uh, thank you for the health of baby Zion, a new member to our church family, Lord. And while we know you have great plans for him and Nicole and Caleb, and just thank you for his health and her health and that they start this new chapter of their lives, Lord. I pray that you be with uh, Eric as he speaks today, Lord. Have him be your vessel and give him the words to speak and us the ears to hear. Lord, I thank you and I ask all this in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. Good morning. At at this time, we're going to dismiss our kids for for Kids Church for the service. So any kids who are um, planning on heading back can can follow Caroline and and Kyler as they're going. And as they go, I would just ask that you um, would join me. We're going to extend a hand to them. Um, We're going to say, may the Lord be with you as you worship. So together, if we'd say, the Lord be with you as you worship. Good morning. Um, My name is is Eric Wenzel. I'm, I'm have the privilege of serving as an elder here at King's Cross, and um, as we've as we've heard multiple times this morning, part of the the plan for me to be here was um, the the coming baby of the Barrows, and um, we're we're excited for for Zion to be here and um, for a, a healthy delivery, healthy mom and baby, and um, really excited just for for you and Nicole and and in this process. So. Um, just, just thinking on that of, of parenthood and dismissing these kids, I, um, I, I so appreciate the ability of being a parent and as Caleb and Nicole enter into that and um, so much of what we love here about King's Cross is, is how much value and care our, our church body puts into our kids. And uh, it's, not, it's not the case everywhere you go. And so to have a church body like we do that is pouring into and loving and serving our kids just means so much. And so I, I too, want to say thank you as a church body for your love and care. Um, whether you're joining us in that parenthood, whether that's to come, whether that was something you have done 30 years ago, um, thank you so much for the love and care you put into um, the kids here. Um, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. This is my second time being able to um, be asked to, to preach here, and um, the, the two times have been very unique in different circumstances. The, the last time was near the end of August, and um, I was just, you know, preparing all summer. I'm a teacher, so I had all summer. I was painting this new play set we got, and uh, it was just so clear to me what I'm going to be sharing and, and everything that came through, and um, it just proceeded and, and went great. And um, this week was a little bit of a different story. Um, if you have used Google Docs, you know how it works, that if you want to make a copy of something, it says copy of whatever it was. Well, this is, this is copy of, copy of, copy of my original outline. Um, and so I'm, I'm just praying and hoping this morning that it's able to meet you with where you're at, that you're able to um, uh, be served in a way that, that is understanding for you and that, that God speaks through um, the words that I'm going to share. We've been making our way through Philippians. Um, we're, we're entering into chapter 2 this morning. Spent the last couple weeks in, in chapter 1, and this morning we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Um, so I'd ask you to join me in opening your Bibles. We'll have the verses on the screen too. Um, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we say here at King's Cross, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, To kind of give a little recap, we've been making our way through Philippians, as I mentioned, and our, our main theme of what we're looking at here in this book is this life of joy. And this is kind of the, the lens and prism that we're wanting to view this book through. And, and specifically, Caleb talked last week with Philippians 4.4 4 that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And we're going to try to keep that same focus here this morning. Um, as you make your way through this, pra- this passage, we're going to be covering the, the topic of humility primarily. And I'll be honest, when I was sent and asked to um, be able to preach and I saw this as the, as the caption, I, I, I immediately thought, oh, Caleb even thinks either I, I am a great example of this or maybe I have some lessons I need to learn. Um, and uh, well, the reality is, regardless of what the initial um, thought or intent was, that there was plenty of learning um, to be had and done and hopefully that's able to come across today. Um, as I read through this passage, I, I started thinking about um, just different thoughts of humility that I've had. And um, as I looked into it, I came across this quote from, from Mother Teresa that she says that I think really gives a, a good picture, a picture of what exactly we're going to be covering here this morning. Um, when talking about humility, she says, Humility is the mother of all virtues, purity, charity, and obedience. It is in being humble that our love becomes real, devoted, and ardent. If you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace because you know what you are. If you are blamed, you will not be discouraged. If they call you a saint, you will not put yourself on a pedestal. And there's a specific phrase in there that says, if you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace. And I I started thinking about that, and two particular stories came to mind. The first one's about a friend of mine named Damien. Um, Damien was a a very big influence in my life throughout my college years. Um, He was uh, in in the town that my parents were, so any college summers that I had, um, spending back at home, a lot of time was spent with Damien. He was a a youth pastor for military kids, and so at times I would be volunteering with him, I would hang out with him. I spent a couple summers interning with him as well, and um, he was just a a great impact on my life during that time and, and still today. And one thing about Damien was he was so devoted to his work that he just loved and poured out and served these kids in such an amazing way. Whether it was showing up to their events, whether it was being there for them when they were lost or needed something, um, or just the consistency of encouraging them time and time again. It was, it was a great privilege to be able to see how he was able to serve and love in this way. And this one particular story, we were at this community event, uh, Fourth of July celebration um, on the military installation, and we were just walking around together, you know, chatting with parents, kids, whoever we might have seen. And, and as we're walking, one of the, the kids that he had poured quite a bit of time into, um, we'll say his name is Jason, was walking by with some friends. And, and Damien says, Jason, hey, how's it going? What's up? And Jason looks over and turns away and just keeps walking. And it kind of struck me as a little odd. And I looked back at Damien and he kind of brushed it off and kept going. And this, this event just kept going on. We kept meeting with these people, but I couldn't just forget what had kind of taken place. It just struck me as like, a, ouch, 
you know, he had poured so much into this kid. He had put so much into him, so much time and effort to then not even get an acknowledgement of a hello or a high back. And finally, that, later that day, I just knew I needed to ask, you know, if this is, you know, how does he do it? He's pouring so much into it. He's, he's getting into it. How does he deal with either the embarrassment or the, um, the pride aspect, the shot of, is it worth it? Is my time worth it? And so I said, Damien, how do you handle this? What's it feel like? What's, how do you go, go through with it? And he just looked at me. He said, Eric, he said, I learned a long time ago that no matter how I am responded to, I go home to the same loving wife and the same loving kids every single day who love me for who I am. And even more so than that, I get to serve my creator who created me individually for exactly who I am and who loves me for that. And it just struck me of just how grounded he was in knowing his, who identity, who his, sorry, what his identity was and who it was grounded in. And that that is just how he carried himself. He wasn't out serving so that he could be responded to, so that he could be loved back, so that he could get something in return. He was out serving because that's what his mission was. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Psalm 34, 34, 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. He knew where his purpose was. He knew where he was being filled up. And not being acknowledged, not being told hello, wasn't going to stop him from that. He knew where his purpose was. On the other side of this quote, it says, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace. And so we, we consider the disgrace, the criticism side. Um, but what does receiving praise look like? Lots of times I think we, we think about, well, not to put myself on a pedestal of, of saying, yeah, I am, I am better than this or I am better than that. And um, but we want to be careful on not raising ourselves up to that level. But I think other times it, it takes some humility to be on the opposite end of receiving praise and being able to receive it gracefully. I think that's a very uncomfortable thing for us as people, and particularly as believers, of knowing how to receive praise in a non-boastful way. Um, I, I have a story I want to share about Lewis. Lewis is our, our second child. There he is there. Um, he just turned six earlier this month. Um, and I want to share a story with him just kind of depicts how uncomfortable at times we feel when we receive praise and don't know what to do with it. I had the opportunity to coach um, Theo and Lewis's soccer team this spring. Um, it was full of kindergarten first graders, so five, six, seven-year-olds. Um, and you can just imagine the mayhem that is taking place on the grass field as we're just trying to hope that they find the ball and go, go run in that direction. So two, our two main goals we always talked about each day was to play hard and have fun. And I feel like if half of them were doing that, we were just doing a great job. Um, we had kids playing in the dirt, throwing grass, goalies standing inside the net. You know, you can just imagine what it's like out there. But we tried to play hard. We tried to have fun as we went. And one of our final games, um, we had rotations of subs coming in and out, and Lewis was there on the sideline with me, and um, I knelt down to him, and I just said, Lewis, I am so proud of you. I'm proud of you. I saw you out there. You were running hard. You were smiling. You were laughing with your friends. And I just wanted to say I'm proud of how you were handling yourself out there. And we're having this moment, and he, he gets so uncomfortable that he looks at me, and he makes a noise. He goes, meh, and he, he half-heartedly hits me in the face. Honestly. And I think you can imagine the shock on my face, and I think he was just as shocked as I was. But that, is, that was just a, a pure picture of what I looked at and saw, and I knew immediately he just didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. And so this praise came. I, I just was telling him I'm proud of him, and he was so uncomfortable, he just wanted to get out of the situation. And so I said, do you, do you, what's going on? Do you not know what to respond? And he said, Daddy, I don't know what to say. And it just hit me of how uncomfortable this can be 
how uncomfortable this can be as people, how uncomfortable this can be as a believer to not put ourselves up on a pedestal to say, yeah, I was doing awesome. Look how great I am. And I told him, I said, I understand. I know that feeling and that saying a thank you goes a long way. And that when someone gives some sort of praise, when someone gives a compliment, a simple thank you can be a great sign of humility in and of itself. Not to push away their compliment, not to say I don't deserve that or it wasn't as good as you think it was, but to truly just say thank you. And I think Lewis's depiction is obviously maybe a little more extreme and we would hope we wouldn't respond as adults, but I think at times we have an internal struggle with that at times still. And that a, a simple thank you um, can do in that um, and move us in that direction. Now, this quote doesn't stop here. Um, she goes on to say that the, the reason nothing will touch you is because you know what you are. If you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know what you are. And as I look back on my life, I can see a lot of different phases of where I was misguided in what I was and where I was identifying myself as something beyond what I truly was, whether that was times where I felt like I was the athlete, whether that was times where I was the friend or the smart one in class or the provider or the other times on the other end of the spectrum where I, I wasn't enough or I wasn't good enough or wasn't capable of doing these things. And that each of those times ended up with some sort of humbling experience to where I was brought back to my core of what I am, and that's a child of God. And I think I see in this quote here, when you know what you are as a true child of God, then out of your humility, praise or disgrace will just move right on by. And that our identity needs to lie in truly what we are, and that's a child of God. I think back specifically on some of my instances. Um, while in college, I, I, I lived for sports. I lived for intramurals, for sports, for being at the rec, playing pickup basketball um, time and time again. And um, I suffered a, a pretty major knee injury one, one winter that took about a year and a half of waiting, surgeries, recoveries before I was able to get back to doing some of the things that I loved. And I remember specifically sometime that summer that I was just sitting on a couch with my leg in a brace propped up, staring out a window and just seeing how much worth and value I had put in what I thought I had become. And just seeing and come crashing down of this was a way for me to now understand again and be brought back to what I truly am, who I truly am at my core. And that's a child of God and the identity that I needed to stick with. I think about another few years later of, of getting ready to get married and I'd always dreamed and envisioned of being this, this provider for my wife, this financial provider, caring for, taking care of all these things. And months into our marriage, spending evenings crying and wondering, are we going to make it through the following month? Time and time again of wondering and wondering. And I just found again that I had put myself into this identification of identifying myself as my provider. I need to be this. I need to be this. Instead of trusting the core of what I was as just a child of God. And who was I to worry? Jesus says himself in Matthew 6, 26, 27, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? God's got us. By trusting in the core of who we are, he is able to do that. And these humbling experiences that I went through, they've, they've varied. Some have been more public than others. Some have been pretty private. But each time that I've found where I'm growing my identity in something other than Christ himself, I can point to individual moments of this come crashing down moment of return. 
Now, this loss of identity um, reminded me of one of my favorite movies, which is The Lion King. Um, it came out in 1994, peak for me. I was about five or six years old. This was my time to enjoy these young Disney movies. So The Lion King, it's been a big part of, of who I am, and so hopefully um, it's about 30 years old now. If you haven't seen it, I am going to spoil it, but that's kind of on you. So um, <laughs> trusting most of you are aware enough of, of how this story goes. But um, leading up to this point, we're going to watch a clip together, but leading up to this point, um, what's kind of taken place is, is Simba, this young lion, is the rightful heir to this throne of this kingdom, um, and he is wrongfully banished and told um, for being blamed for his father's death, and that these lies start to feed into what becomes his own belief of what is true about himself. And so he is wrongfully banished, leads off, and, and finds what he finds kind of a new peace um, about himself and living this, this Hakuna Matata life um, where everything's just fine. Um, and seems that he's just accepted where it's at. And the, the point then becomes that he's so far lost his identity of who he is that there comes a time of, of need for him to return. That this kingdom is falling apart and a friend comes and, and says, you need to come back. You are, you are the rightful king. And he says, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. And we can see that he's completely lost track of who he originally was. So um, we're leading up to this point. An unsuspecting friend comes named Rafiki. Um, and we're going to watch this clip together. Oh, we don't need to watch it again. Uh, <laughs> it's a good moving part, though. Um, and I think this clip is just a, is a good description of, you see this humbling experience, the denial of, it's not who I am anymore. And the stripping away and needing a reminder, a refresher of who truly we are. Um, and I think that's a lot of, of what we see in, in that quote of when we are struck and stuck in what we are, truly a child of God, the praise, the disgrace um, is able to come and go.
Now, it's, it's impossible to talk about humility um, without talking about the, the greatest example himself, and that's Jesus Christ. And as we look and, and see what Paul is saying again in our, in our passage from Philippians, he sees it as well when he mentions in verse 5, to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Into 6 and 7, we proceed to see the example of Christ giving himself up, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made as a human. And then in verse 8, humbling himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as I sat on that, I, I flashed back to a couple weeks ago in, in our recent celebration of our Resurrection Sunday and the times leading up to that as well during, during Holy Week. And the, the previous Sunday on Palm Sunday, our, our home group was meeting that afternoon and um, we decided to go through the, the Stations of the Cross together. Um, of spend some time kind of walking around, going through these meditative parts of, of Jesus' journey from the Garden of Gethsemane through his process up to his crucifixion and death, um, of meditating on these, um, feeling what he was going through, and then coming back and discussing them. And what I noticed as I kept going through this is that Christ continued through this process to serve, teach, and love even in these moments of hardship that he was going through. Um, so we're going to walk through some of these together, and I really hope that, that as we go through them, you see Christ's attitude of service and love, even in the difficult time that he was in. So we're going to start in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, and it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus had grown to so much sorrow to the point of death that he made a request that this cup be taken from him. But even with that pain and sorrow he was going through, he didn't allow it to cloud his purpose in knowing that he is here to complete the father's will. Not to selfishly say, I'm out, I can't do it. Not as I will, as your will. Willingness to go through with it, even knowing what is coming. Next we see the, the denial by Peter. It says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter was consistently telling Jesus he's his most, most faithful disciple. And Jesus knows previously to this that Peter is going to deny him three times. Yet that, that, that does not stop Jesus' willingness to go through this process, to die on a cross, and to save him. Next, in the women of Jerusalem, it says a large number of people as he's walking followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? If anyone was ever at a point of needing wept for and of being mourned for, is it not Christ carrying his cross to go and be crucified? 
And yet he in that moment still was able to say, do not weep for me. He's still focused on their well-being, on what is to come. As he's being crucified, he makes a declaration. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To go through these acts, to be receiving what he was receiving, and the ability to stand there and say, forgive these people for what they are doing to me, for they do not know. Serving and loving others the whole time. As he's hanging on the cross, he shows care for his mother. Says one of the criminals who hung, sorry, skipping forward. Repentant thief first. Go back. Sorry. Thanks, Dennis. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Forgiveness is shown. Caring for his mother, Jesus is up on the cross and near the cross stood his mother Mary, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And so we see Jesus hanging there knowing his time is coming and wants to be sure that his mother is taken care of. He had been providing for her, making sure her needs were met. And so he says to John, his disciple, take her into your home. And then finally, in one of his final acts, he recommits himself to the Father's will. It says it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And so we started in the garden where we have a request of take this cup from me, not as I will, but as you will. A commitment there. And then we see here at the end a recommitment. I have committed my hands to you. But we know the story doesn't end there. We know that three days later, the resurrection comes and Jesus has completed his mission of what he came for. Now, what's interesting to me is when we think about Peter's denial and we think about how he was treated, how he was tortured and crucified, he doesn't come back to prove a point. He doesn't come back to be worshiped and thanked. He doesn't come back to come say, I told you so. No, we find a very different story of what Jesus does when he returns. We're going to read here from John 20, um, 13 through 23, when we we get a a passage of, of Christ returning. It says, they asked her, Mary, woman, why are you crying? She says, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, Mary turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was him. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus looked at her and says, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We don't see him send out a flyer, come and see me, come and show my proof. He goes and he meets and is with the people that he loved and had spent so much time with. And specifically with Peter, we hear of another time that he has almost a Peter reconciliation moment where he, he asks him, does he love him three times? And then says, follow me. The same way he initially asked him to follow him at the very beginning. And so we see Jesus through all these acts, all this service, all this pain he was going through, he was focused on all of us. He had turned his focus on serving and loving and caring. So now what? We have this amazing example of what Christ went through, how he served, how he loved. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean on a Sunday morning church service for us? And you see, we, we look at verses two and three in our passage and we see some results of what living in humility looks like. It says that we'll be like-minded We'll have the same love. We'll be one in spirit and of one mind and we'll value others above, our, above ourselves. So we see this end result, evidence of what living in humility looks like, but what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Is it as easy as us this morning saying, yes, we all vote. Maybe we should have a membership meeting. We vote to live in humility and then it's fixed or we sign some paper or we just all nod our heads and say, we've got it. Um, but I think there's something more to it than that. And we, we've seen Paul discuss in his, in his chapter, not only for your own interests of looking out, we, we saw Simba being rem, um, told to remember who he is. We talked about Mother Teresa of knowing what you are. And so I think it's, it's good for us to look at how Christ was able to remember who he was during his time on earth too. And one thing, one thing that continually came up as Jesus went along during his mission was that he would take time away for himself to be recommitted to the Father. And it says in Luke 5, 15 and 16, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. People were crying out for him, wanting him, heal me, needing him. And Jesus knew the importance of making sure that he was grounded in the Father as well. He took the time to be sure that his commitment level and his identity was found in his Father. Even the greatest mission of all, Jesus Christ, took time away to be sure that he was grounded in that truth. And that followed through up until his final breath. It wasn't up until he knew, okay, now is my time. I'm about to be crucified. All the way through those stages we just saw, continually serving and loving others because of how grounded he was. Now, we're not promised easy in this life. Caleb talked about last week in Philippians 4.4, the rejoice doesn't mean it's just all going to be good and easy. But it's more so of rejoice in knowing that we get to serve a God who loves us for exactly who and what we are, and that is a child of his. Through his pain and suffering, Jesus continued to serve, care for, and love those around him. Something I, I share as a coach often with my players is that if they're having a rough game or getting really frustrated, it just kind of becomes an avalanche for them at them at times. You know, one mistake becomes another, becomes another, and all of a sudden they can't even really function. And one thing I try to encourage them in doing is forgetting that completely, but more focused on their teammates themselves. If they're able to, to focus on encouraging their teammate, pick them up, um, compliment them on something they've done well, um, pick them up when they've done something not so great. And when they take that to heart and it actually starts happening, it's really start, it's amazing to see that their, their focus, since it's shifting less on the me, more on the we, that that frustration has far less effect. That as they're going through their own personal struggles, they're not really sitting in them as much because they're caring for and looking out for ways they can help other people as they go. 
And that's not easy. It's not easy to turn the focus off of me and focusing more on the we of a church, to look out for the needs of others because we're not perfect and it's not easy for us either. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that when it's going well for you to serve others. No, okay, we are called to serve and love one another at all times. And that in doing so, we'll have these evidences of what Paul has talked about. Now this grounding impacts everything. What we are grounded in impacts everything. I shared some experiences I have had of being grounded in things and identifying in things that weren't really true to my core. And when we're finding those things, it becomes a separation. And if it's a separation within my own life, it's a separation that I'm causing within the church as well. And so seeking out of who I'm grounded in allows Christ to give us the tools we need to be able to serve and love of one another appropriately. I'm going to ask the band to please come up. Um, and as I do, I just want to really refocus in on what humility does. Um, it, it pours out of us when we're grounded in our faith and when we are closely um, in, in our relationship with God, being filled up routinely so that we can routinely pour out into others as well. When Jesus came, he made sure that humility was important, but he also made sure that people knew that humility starts within the heart. There were many times during a service where he would call out people um, that were doing the right thing because it was for a public display of some sort of public image versus the true humility of the heart of serving and loving other people. And so what I want to ask this morning is what is your heart being filled up with? What are, what are you getting your identity from? Is it in our job? Is it in our, our family? Is it as a provider? Um, is it how great of a servant we are at church and we want everybody to know that I'm, I'm always here and I'm putting in the time? Or is it truly that we're able to be filled up by the Father. And that when that is done, we will continually have an easier and easier time of serving and loving others because of what our heart is filled with. So we have an enemy that wants to find these little gaps and breaks so that he can come in and infiltrate all those changes. And that when we are grounded in who we are in Christ, grounded in the truth of what we are as a child of God, we will be pouring out love and care for each other as we go. And of all the fleeting joy that we may chase around to try to identify with, can we honestly think of anything that brings a greater life of joy than living out our mission of what God has called us to? And so this life of joy can be truly found and grounded in whose we are, which is a child of God. When we're grounded, the praise and the criticism is going to come and go because our identity lies elsewhere. Not in our pride, not in how people view us, but our identity lies elsewhere. So when we stay grounded in this, it leads to what Paul's description is at the beginning of the passage. We will have a shared love we'll have like-mindedness, and we'll be one in spirit and mind. And so may we go out today with a desire to know God more, finding our full identity of who we are in him, and then leading to humbly serving and loving one another as a church. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the opportunity of, of loving you, the opportunity of, of being able to worship here together. And I, I thank you for sending us the perfect example of, of how to love and serve others in Jesus himself. I pray that as we go, we can strip away the identities and the lies that are being told to us and find our true identity in who we are in you. And that in doing so, it'll be an easier and more natural thing to love and serve others as we go about our day-to-day -day lives. Thank you for this church body. I pray that your love will be infiltrating it at all times. Rest in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are able, could you please stand and worship with us? Mm -hmm.
service. If you have some questions or want to learn more about the church, you may go out with this, this message this morning that we serve a God who is enough and that at the core of our being, we are a child of his. And may that truth go with you this week as we pour out our love to others in ways we can serve as well. Enjoy your Sunday.